So endiotics uh, began basically using inspiration from science fiction. And, you know, as a, as a kid, I, I was exposed to really cool movies. Like, I think my favorite was Inner Space, where we shrink a little robot down, put it inside someone's body, and you pilot it around, and you're literally seeing red blood cells and white cells in the problem. We are hoping that micro-robotics in the human body becomes a category uh, in its own right. We're hoping that cheap, tiny robots throughout the human body uh, just becomes a normal that completely changes the status quo on cost, access, speed, uh, and, and, and everything that matters to, to real people. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Did you know that the American Cancer Society estimates that the stomach cancer in the United States for 2023, the incidence of stomach cancer, is about 26,500 new cases of stomach cancer, and there are around 11,000 deaths. Stomach cancer is not an easy disease. Uh, in my practice, as an oncologist in training, I see patients with stomach cancer, and unfortunately, once it's happened, it's very aggressive and it's not treatable, or the current treatments that are available are not the best. There are some new treatments, but they don't do very well in terminating the disease. That being said, imagine that there is a way to detect stomach cancer early. And I'm not talking about endoscopy. Doing an endoscopy, it's a procedure that costs on an average around $3,000. The cost can range anywhere between $1,200 to $10,000 in some cases. It's an uncomfortable procedure. Going an endoscopy requires you to fast, not eat for a certain amount of time, take time off work, going to do the procedure, being under the effect of anesthesia, and needing someone to drive you back. But what about if you can swallow a pill? And this pill can be controlled by a physician who is somewhere else, not next to you. And all this from the comfort of your own house. And that's where indiotics comes. Indiotics is the sealing up the world of gastrointestinal health. They have this amazing product that I will talk about today. It's called the PillBot. This little gadget is designed to take it to, through your stomach, offering a real-time diagnosis and screening patients. And this is controlled by a physician in real time. I'm so happy today to have the CEO of Indiotics, Tori Smith. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Rupen. It's a real pleasure to be here today. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much. Can you tell me a bit about the company? How did it start and why? So Endiotics uh, began basically using inspiration from science fiction. And, you know, as a, as a kid, I, I was exposed to really cool movies. Like, I think my favorite was Inner Space, where we shrink a little robot down, put it inside someone's body, and you pilot it around, and you're literally seeing red blood cells and white cells. And, you know, I grew up thinking that that was the medical future that we were all destined for. And uh, along with other movies like Fantastic Voyage or or movies like The Right Stuff, you know, it became very clear to me that my path was going to involve aerospace engineering. Uh, but then as I became an adult, you know, you start to have friends or family that get sick and you go to the hospital and 
in some cases, you know, unfortunately, modern technology can't save everyone. And so when my Aunt Katie passed away from a glioblastoma uh, in her brain, a, a brain cancer, you know, I was, I was, it was really starting to bug me because I was in my early 20s and I was, you know, just out of college with aerospace. And I had an opportunity to, to take a medical device internship. And I was designing experimental aircraft at the time, which is a, a big passion of mine. Um, but suddenly I had, I had this really personal vendetta against cancer and, and also a personal vendetta against complacency, uh, complacency with the kind of technology that we can bring to bear on disease, right? And so I made a little pact where I basically just looked in the mirror and said, you know what, I'm going to put everything I can into trying to improve healthcare. And so, you know, a few startups later, uh, went through a couple of exits uh, as an early employee. I'm, I've finally have been able to follow this lifelong passion of mine, which is going back to my childhood, trying to revisit that moment when I first saw inner space and I saw those little tiny robots in the human body. Because with endiotics, our passion, our dream is to create a world where tiny little robots can act like the tip of a doctor's scalpel or the, the tip of an endoscope to go find what's wrong and, and really serve as a platform to then, you know, knock out that problem. Thank you so much for sharing this story. Um, uh, I, I did lots of research about you, and I, I don't think I heard this story about your aunt. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. And um, that's really inspiring. Uh, I think like um, personal things are the things that touch us the most and motivate us the most. Um, I know that Indiotics has also a meaning behind the name. Um, can you just tell the listeners what does that mean and where does it come from? Absolutely. Endiotics is basically crushing three words together. Um, and it's really funny because a lot of medical tech does this. But for us, endo means to go inside the human body. Mm -hmm. uh, dia diagnostics is to understand what is wrong. And TX is the, the shorthand we often use for treatment. And so endiotics represents an adventure deep into the human body using tiny robots. And then rather than just staying as a... a passive device that just has a look around, the goal is to very much turn into an active device that actually goes out and, you know, actively takes tissue samples or does microsurgeries. And so we feel it's critical to create a robotic platform that can be used for, for countless different purposes. But then I say, thank goodness for the human stomach, because that provides a, a, a pretty reasonable place for us to begin this adventure. Yeah, I can't agree more. Talking about the human stomach, can you tell me a bit about how the technology works in the human stomach? And let's say I'm a patient and or like I want to try this technology. What kind of preparation should I do? Well, absolutely to talk about preparation, but would it be okay if I did a shout out to one of my heroes who also was inspired by, unfortunately- I would love that. Yeah. So uh, there's, a, there's a company called Robote based in Paris and- they are actually making rice grain sized brain surgery robots. Wow. And the CEO, Bertrand Duplatz, uh, I, I think it was his mother. Um, I, I was listening to an interview from him. I, I think, unfortunately, I think it was his mother passed away from glioblastoma. Hmm. And, and so it's interesting to see that there are all these founders out in the health tech universe 
who have really personal stories of of terrible diseases affecting their family and then actually founding tech companies to go, you know, do something about it. And so I, I felt like if we were going to mention glioblastoma and a brain cancer, you know, it's important to note that we are not the only founding team that has, you know, a really personal vendetta here. And so, you know, honestly, we're just very proud to be in the community of people doing cool stuff like that. Um, but to to move on and, you know, speak about prep for, for PillBot, uh, because we are very much focused in, in the GI tract uh, for our current domain, and then in the human stomach in particular for, for right now. Uh, for our patients, it's actually pretty simple. You know, uh, an upper endoscopy patient, as you said earlier, is going to have to go to the hospital physically and, you know, they'll skip meals, they'll, they'll get sedated, they'll get tubes inserted into their bodies, uh, all, all these things. For us, we're asking, you know, is it possible that you might just stay home, not go to the hospital that day, uh, skip your breakfast, please, maybe drink a few glasses of warm water during the morning to kind of just rinse out some of the, the goo that hangs out in the stomach. And then like, you know, I've, I myself have done 20 times now um, around lunchtime, drink some water, swallow the bot, <laughs> activate it, and let your doctor control it over a Zoom call. Wow. So no preparation and no going to the hospital. Well, well, by, it's funny because when I say no preparation, I mean, I do, I do please insist that you skip that breakfast. I, I do Fair insist enough. that you drink a glass of water. You know, our little robots are very similar in principle to the drone that you might see a kid fly around the neighborhood on their birthday, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you could probably buy a drone for 50 bucks these days, a, a yes, simple one. exactly. PillBot is a simple drone. It, it's a little eyeball that can swim around in your stomach if you're willing to drink some water uh, to, to create that volume for it to swim. Yeah, I, I want to say something. Like, I'm, I'm really inspired by, I think... Two things really touched me. Uh, one, like I always interview founders and people who want to make a difference. And I think part of it is coming from frustration in healthcare and I want to make a difference in healthcare. But I think your motivation is much stronger than anyone else because like you have a family history and uh, you have you have a personal contact with um, cancer, which is like not something pleasant. And uh, r respect to all founders and big shout out to all founders who are trying to make a difference because like uh, cancer touched their life or someone's or, or their, their beloved one, their beloved one's life. Um, I think like uh, those are the ones who's gonna who are going to make a difference in healthcare. And something else inspired me when you were talking also, usually when I talk to founders, they always skip or like minimize competition, but like, no, you are saying there is another person who's doing something oh my, similar, but oh my in goodness, another, we, space, another we, space. We have to, I, I feel so privileged to be in this community of, I mean, it's a small community, honestly, the, the, the community of deep tech founders who are, are on the cutting edge. Um, it's, it's not huge. I mean, you have intuitive surgical, you know, under Dr. Fred Mole, that, mm -hmm. that was a huge step forward. And then with Oris Health, they've they've extended the reach of of their type of surgical robotics. Um, but then but then you have like mod modern founders like like Bertrand, you know, over at Robote who are saying, hey, you know, what if you could do surgery but from a microscopic or like rice grain size platform? 
And, you know, it, you have amazing work uh, being done coming from China that's, that's actually FDA cleared with, with uh, robots in the, in the stomach just like us with Navicam, which is a little, a little pill that has a camera that can move around. Now, their technology actually uses uh, magnetic fields. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you go to a hospital, you get in this machine. But the thing about magnetic fields is it penetrates the body. And so you get this great ability to create controlled magnetic force you know, anywhere in the human body, right? And so I actually, um, one of our investors asked, was our technology ready for their dad because their their father had had a, a GI problem? And and I actually, on, on further inspection, realized, holy cow, our direct competition would be much better than us uh, in this part of your, your father's body. And so I tried to get as much information to them as possible because, you know, you might, in a very short-sighted sense, see other people doing similar technology and you might feel oh no scared there's competition but really i see it a different way i because the community is so small and because the human body is so large you know when you go to the microscopic scale and when you look at the the huge library of illnesses that we know about and then you know there are illnesses we don't know about that it's it's really like a small group of people working on a huge huge problem and i feel like I said, so privileged to be part of this small community because I feel like we really are working in concert. For example, uh, with with given imaging, they proved that uh, you know you could swallow an electronic pill. You know mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. in the late '90s, early 2000s. They get FDA approval, and then and then Navicam has proven that it's safe to make a pill move using magnetic force. And now we are are sort of coming onto the stage, and we're saying. Hey, maybe we could make this thing move, but under its own own power, and that opens a telemedicine angle. And then, in parallel with that, you you know you have Robote saying, "Let's go straight to the brain surgery part." And this is really exciting because this is pretty th- cool. Yes, I think that each group that comes onto the stage brings this unique addition to our landscape. I think what Endiotics is trying to do right now is saying, "Hey, we can go." into the human body in a telemedicine enabled environment which means that like hundreds of millions of hospital visits every year might actually be video calls uh, yeah. fairly soon right i mean if we can make that contribution i mean imagine the world that that creates right i i would expect for dozens of companies to come to come in and say let's let's take advantage of this new landscape right but if we get to be the first ones to go through FDA and and you know establish the basic basic HIPAA HIPAA compliant framework for how you can do this in a reasonable way. I mean, hey, there's there's plenty of value there for us to enjoy and celebrate. But more valuable, I think, is the ecosystem that you build with with all of the stakeholders, like like regulatory bodies and hospital networks and doctors and then patients at large. We're basically making it normal to put little tiny robots in the body. Like I said, I hope the stomach is not the end. I hope the stomach is the beginning of this whole new chapter. So you talked a bit about uh, the technology and we are talking now about the future. I'm very excited to learn your opinion. When do you think this technology can perform surgeries? So the TX in endiotics is treatment, right? Exactly. Um, the, 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 the name of the company is surgical robotics, right? Mm-hmm. And microsurgical robotics going everywhere in your body, right? 
Um, so we think that the the way that we begin doing surgery with PillBot, the first step is when we finally break the the tissue. That when we break the skin with say a needle strike or uh, a tissue sampling or a polypectomy. And I think that the thing I'm most excited about uh, to to go from just PillBot to pill surgeon style style uh, way of thinking is in the human stomach there are any number of reasons why we might want to take a tissue sample. And it's such an intimate uh, uh, question. If I am sampling tissue from in your GI tract, well, how how are we going to get that tissue uh, to a lab and test it, right? Yeah, exactly. Because traditionally, if we're doing an endoscopy, it's it's somewhat simple. I can take a tissue sample using an endoscope and pull it out of your body and send it to the lab. Yeah. With with PillBot, we are trying to bring dignity and agency to people who, you know, usually having gotten to an endoscopy might not have been easy, depending on which healthcare ecosystem you're in. Um, and then the endoscopy itself is relatively intrusive. The last thing I want to do to that population who who might be in terrible GI distress, right? Th these are people who might not be having a very good day. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to do to a person in that condition is say, oh, I'm going to drag this sample out of your throat. That sounds pretty scary. Yes. And then the other thing is perhaps worse, which is, okay, somehow this robot's going to keep a sample in you, and then you're going to go to the to the washroom, and then we're going to have to retrieve it. I mean, that's not fun for the patient. It's not fun for the, the nurse or the technician. Um, that's not the ecosystem we're trying to build. And so instead... We remember inner space, right? Like in that movie, you know, it's this big robot that they shrink down. And I think of PillBot as a little spaceship, right? PillBot has circuit boards. It's got maybe a dozen chips on it. Uh, there's multiple motors. It, PillBot has a, it's, it's a big, wonderful design in a, in a small package. And the question we ask is, well, maybe instead of taking the sample out of the body, what if we bring the lab onto the chip and we do analysis wow. of that sample inside PillBot? And so uh, we are certainly not the first to invent this concept. I mean, all you have to do is look at what people are doing with red light. You can shine red light through through tissue and, and see things that you wouldn't see with normal, uh, typical optical light that you might see from the sun or from mm -hmm. bright mm -hmm. white lights. Um, you can do photospectroscopy. Um, I have a a dear friend, uh, uh, Wojtek, uh, who's actually this Polish founder who has multiple chips in his arm that he implanted himself after designing with his team. Uh, Wojtek and his company, WalletMed, are doing photospectroscopy inside the human body using chips that they implant under the skin. Really? And it's amazing because they get real-time biomarkers, right? So an obvious one would be, hey, what's your blood glucose level? Um, and, you know, your your Apple Watch could interrogate that chip, uh, which can be passively powered by the watch, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and in real time, you could be getting hundreds of biomarkers. And so, you know, say for a kid who has diabetes, instead of doing a blood prick, you could be getting, you know, micro, like millisecond by millisecond data on blood sugar. But you could also be getting that data continuously, you know, for many other biomarkers. And so... This concept of 
getting lots of information while you're already inside the body, we certainly did not invent that, but we would like to add to it. So when does PillBot become pill surgeon? I would say when we are searching around for a lesion and we find one and we want to sample it, I would like to either with powerful light um, and, and fancy optics and, and maybe a little bit of AI in order to interpret what we are seeing, that would be sort of non-intrusive or more fun is intrusive. I'd like to go take a sample, bring it into PillBot, and run it through a lab on chip. You know, what do we do? Do we liquefy it and then conduct it through some some very small capillaries, you know, so we can do various tests on it? Um, or do we take the sample and shine a bright light through it inside a PillBot? Um, there are a lot of different ways we can approach it. And so the hope is that once PillBot as a basic diagnostic tool, uh, you know, a, a moving eyeball in your stomach or mm -hmm. the world's first virtual endoscope. That's how we're trying to get people excited about the concept. Once PillBot is out in the world as a as a diagnostic tool or as a screening tool, I'm I'm really hoping that we will be able to direct the team to then go into the the pill surgeon direction. Um, I, I can tell you honestly that until we have cool robot arms coming out of this thing, you know, we will not feel like the company's mission has truly been addressed. Very cool. So it, it, it's a driven by a physician in real time, or is it like a driven by a programming or a program or software? Well, this, this is such a good question, right? Like, because it touches on so many questions. Um, when, when we say, when, when we say we're making like robot pills, a mm -hmm. lot of people think of, of pill cam, you know, with given imaging and, you know, in the late nineties, I remember people hearing about camera pills and thinking like, Hey, you know, that's the end of the colonoscopy, right? Yeah. Um, and, and unfortunately the existence of passive devices, like, like pill cameras has not ended uh, colonoscopy, right? It, it, it created its own niche use market where they're very useful in the, the small bowel. You know, it's very hard to get a scope into the small bowel, right? Like enteroscopy is like, not the most fun experience, right? Oh my God. They, um, they do like upper endoscopy, lower endoscopy, <laughs> and then the small bowel, if you can't reach it, you do pill and then you do push yeah. enteroscopy. It's, 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 yeah. it's a mess. Yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting, but passive devices have not disrupted the world of the endoscope effectively. Like we have this huge market for endoscopes. Uh, some people say 60, $70 billion are spent every year. Yeah on endoscopes. Um, and our question with PillBot is, if we can make this move in real time, just like a video game, if we can essentially give a gastroenterologist a the, the tip of their endoscope minus the endoscope and make it telemedicine enabled, the hope here is that we're creating a tool that an average gastroenterologist can actually use multiple times per day um, in the course of treating their patients, especially upper endoscopy patients. And okay. so, you know, are we going to replace all EGD, you know, esophagogastroduodenoscopy, EGD, upper endoscopy? Are we going to replace all upper endoscopies with PillBot? Absolutely not. However, you know, when we ask uh, Dr. Kumbari, uh, who's, the, who's in Jacksonville, Florida, um, head of the Mayo Clinic's GI program, when we asked Dr. Kumbari, you know, how useful would a, a diagnostic only pillbot be? He says, you know, 
three quarters or more of his cases where he's doing uppers, he's not even taking tissue samples. You know, it's just pure visual yeah, screening. I agree. And he's saying, my goodness, I mean, if you can give me good optics, if you can give me stable control, you know, if you can allow me to look anywhere in the in the stomach, you know, if I'm doing a gastroscopy, I might as well reach for a pillbot first. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that's where real time, real time active control we feel um, is kind of like the minimum value. That's like the minimum tech stack that we need to create to create a premier use tool, a platform that can be used every day in a typical clinic. And then from there, the real differentiation, you know, the, the place where we really stand alone at this, you know, instant in time is in virtual form, you know, to be able to do this over a telemedicine uh, enabled Zoom-like call, right? Um, where you don't actually have to have the patient physically in the hospital. We, we think there may be a, a lot of value there. From that foundation, we would like to then have conversations about artificial intelligence, right? We would absolutely like to have conversations about how can we offload the boring parts of this job from doctors so that they can actually do the really interesting and more more psychologically challenging parts of the job. Like imagine if if you're a gastroenterologist and you're doing 10 to 14 cases per day, and most of those cases are going to get a negative result. So you're screening lots and lots of, of upper GI anatomy. And once in a while, you get someone with really obvious symptoms and like really obvious, you know, problems in their anatomy. My goodness, I mean, you must be exhausted by the time you finally get an interesting case. And I'm hoping with with technology like Pillbot, um, you know, and obviously let's give a lot of credit to GI Genius uh, that Medtronic is leveraging right now, you know, created by Andrea Cherbini. GI Genius has has basically proven to be almost like like a heads-up display for gastroenterologists where real-time on-the-fly data analytics, it's like it's like driver assist when you're driving your car. You, there you are. You're on the open road, but you have all these features to make your job easier and less stressful. And if you miss something, there's a good chance a little auto steer or a little correction or lane lane keeping. You know, it just makes your job as a gastroenterologist easy and fun, right? That's the hope for what we can do beyond just a directly controlled pillbot in real time. I think it's very important that we make sure this thing can move, move under its own power, is telemedicine enabled. I think that's the minimum for us to basically start the conversation. I can't agree more. Like you mentioned several things and it's something that like general people don't see, but like, I just want to comment on several things that you mentioned. So first, upper GI bleed. I did my residency in internal medicine and it was pretty, very, very, very busy. And the problem, like, it's not only about stomach cancer. The number of patients that they get admitted for bleeding from their stomach or melina stool, which is a black color of the stool that happens when people have bleeding in their stomach, is great. So, so, so first, this is a very, very, very common problem. And I can like on internal medicine service, this is the bread and butter. So it's very common. This is one. Two, most of these patients are elderly, 65 or plus on tons of medications, on blood thinners, on antiplatelets, and they are very frail. Three, you put these patients into fasting 24 hours, and then you have to do the procedure. And then on top of that, 
the number of times that this procedure got canceled because like it gets delayed there is a problem with the like the, the the endoscopy suite it's 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 so high like can you see all these pinpoints like those are frail patients you can't make them fast and their procedure can be canceled even if they are in the hospital and it is invasive it is invasive like um i've seen several codes called the blue when someone's heart is stopped while they're going again i'm not trying to scare people i'm just trying to say that how simple and how effective the, this can be because like literally the 65 75 85 year old person who is really frail and instead of making them fast and insert this tube into their throat especially like they have multiple comorbidities the normal human being can't imagine the number of diseases those people have and instead of that tube simple pill so I think it's it's very and and that's why I'm very excited about it because it is bread and butter case, upper jab lead we see it a lot and I see in diotics also uh, making a huge difference and also one more point that I'm going to add here is like you mentioned that and I, I really appreciate that you want to implement AI into indiotics. I love gastroenterology. I love gastroenterologists. Don't get me wrong, but one of the things that got me so I was in internal medicine residency and I was like. I want to do a fellowship, but I'm not sure. So I was thinking about gastroenterology and I was like, I don't want to do the same procedures again and again and again and again, because I, 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 I saw how repetitive it become, but now you are trying to take all this repetitiveness and introduce only the fun part into gastroenterologist lifestyle, which also helps with physicians burnout. Because like, if you are doing the same thing and you are not finding a result, it gets boring after a while. It's for those people who are listening, like it's, it, it's fun to do the procedure first time, but after 15, 20, 30 upper endoscopies, like I've done some of them, it's just like becomes repetitive. But now this becomes more fun. You tell the physician, okay, so this patient needs more, needs your attention. And that's how you can also, if I'm thinking about in the future, you can free up more gastroenterologists from doing this repetitive procedure to take care of more severe and advanced cases that needs physicians' attention. So it's a public health thing. Absolutely. I, I was actually blown away. We were very fortunate enough to be invited to participate in the AGA Shark Tank event uh, earlier this year in San Francisco, and we were very great, we were very excited to, to take home a trophy. But one of the main findings from, from, from working with AGA was learning the rate at which gastroenterologists suffer from workplace-related injuries to their, to their bodies, mm -hmm. uh, specifically in their wrists. Because uh, in the manipulation of an endoscope for either an EGD or a colonoscopy, you're putting lots and lots of force into these tools to get through all the tortuosity, which is, I mean, obviously kind of scary for the patient. But the doctor is the one administering these physical loads through very awkward body positions. And so it's it's basically very frustrating and, and cumbersome to use a traditional endoscope uh, for many hours, you know, day in, day out. Um, but kind of like... You know, touching on one of your earlier points on, you know, what it is like for an older person at a care facility who's going to get a, you know, an, an upper endoscopy stay, you know, I'd like to think of that person. Let's also think of like a typical GI patient out in the world, you know, and then, and then there's a third kind of patient that I'd like to speak to at the end. If we're talking about grandma, grandma's mm -hmm. at the care facility, you know, she's in her golden years. She might not be as sharp as she once was. And people are starting to tell her she needs this and that, and there's papers being put in her face. And now she's in a in an ambulance being transported to the clinic. 
people are having her undress and you know it's 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 this kind of disruptive kind of scary flow and you know now you're getting knocked out and now you're waking up and you might feel really nauseous you might be vomiting as you're waking <laughs> yeah. up and 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 then someone's walking up with papers and telling you what just happened and then maybe you're you're lucid enough for the doctor to tell you what they've found and then you're being transported back to to a care facility like honestly none of that sounds very fun you know i i would love for many people in that population instead to just take away all that chaos and just simplify it to there's grandma and there's the good doctor on a big beautiful video call calmly and gently explaining that he wants or she wants to have or rather they want to have a look around in your in your in your stomach and then have some fun drink some water swallow this pill while you're totally lucid and you get to be there with your doctor as they look around in your stomach and they can tell you why your belly hurts um and maybe if it's a lesion or an ulcer a little little bleed you see it right there and and you get the bedside manner of the physician in real time and there were no drugs involved and there was no 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 upsetting journey involved so that that's the change we'd like to make for many patients you know in the elder community and then for normal patients you know we hear lots of numbers when it comes to you know how much does an upper endoscopy cost well according to my research it it either costs not very much you know maybe 1500 bucks which you know in the grand scheme of things maybe that's not the worst thing in the world no, then you I hear crazy that, numbers like 10,000 sure. right we hear we certainly hear larger numbers but the thing that really troubles me is how many visits it takes through the hospital system before a typical patient sees a gastroenterologist and before they finally get that that procedure if you ask a normal person about their upper endoscopy they will probably tell you you know they had like three four five six seven trips to the hospital in total sometimes more we'd like to draw a circle around all of that and for some patients turn it into zero trips to the hospital right your stomach hurts would you be willing to swallow a funny scary robot pill drink some water whoa hey you've got basic gastritis okay we have a prescription for that let hopefully this will take care of you and if it doesn't you know if we do find something we'll have you in the hospital the next day because we know exactly what the next step is but we just saved months of the of of this troublesome expensive arduous adventure the last stakeholder though you know there's grandma there's there's a typical gi patient that's got sudden pain and they want to know what's wrong the last patient in here is is the one that you had mentioned earlier when you started speaking about stomach cancer and the the real you know the the real tragedy is that we live in a world where we have effective screenings for things like uh, colon cancer you know at a, at a certain age it's appropriate to go get a colonoscopy and then there's a good chance you know we'll catch it if if it's going to be there and we can hopefully cure it we usually can right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Our, our screenings for colon cancer are pretty pretty good pretty effective but we don't have that for stomach cancer no no we and don't the the real tragedy here is in the current healthcare regime you find out you have stomach cancer when you feel your stomach cancer exactly you know I sometimes it, you might you might have indigestion symptoms you know you might go get an upper endoscopy it might even take you months or even a few years before you take it seriously 
But on average, when we diagnose stomach cancer, it's usually stage three or stage four with very difficult numbers with regards to your chance of surviving that. And so I feel like, uh, again, I feel privileged to be in this community because I feel like technology like PillBot or like the RoboTay device or like Navicam or, or AI solutions like GI Genius, right? Or any number of things, you know, Voitex chips in his arm with WalletMed. I feel like this kind of technology is almost like at a population level is almost like a time machine because if we can get extremely cheap, like inexpensive mass screening technology like this out to the world in the millions, then at a population level, can we somehow reduce the age at which we are diagnosing a stomach cancer at a population level by a decade or more, right? What if you got a pill bot when you entered your college health plan, right? And it was just yeah, part of it. Yeah, quick, no, I agree. Quick, quick, easy, fun screening, right? For most people, it's nothing. But for some, hey, there's there's an early stage. There's a stage one stomach cancer. And you know what? Your oncologist actually has a good plan for that, right? I would love to give the oncologists of the world a decade head start, you know, so that they could do their work. And that's where I feel like if we can make this technology inexpensive, if we can make it accessible, if we can dematerialize millions of hospital visits into video calls, and then even in the future with AI, you know, you can even reduce the workload a little bit beyond that. I think we can do some good in this world. Well, you can do lots of good. I, just, I, I, I don't want to like talk a lot about the technology because like now we're talking just like the implementation of technology is like mind blowing because like I can also add on that, that I trained in the Canadian healthcare system and people wait several months, sometimes six, seven months until they get an endoscopy. And so you can cut the time for that. That's like, it, it, as I'm saying, it's, it, it's a public health thing. Um, it's more than, and then on top of the, stomach cancer that people know, like there are some certain people, as you mentioned, for example, patients with Crohn's disease, they, those people have higher risk of developing uh, GI malignancies. There are familiar cases like familial adenomatous polyposis, where they develop multiple polyps in their stomach or in their gut. So those people require frequent screening. And so the implementation of this technology is mind-blowing and the effect is goes beyond patient level. It goes on public health. It, it frees hospitals from these procedures because like also freeze gastroenterologists and help them do other stuff. Anyways, going back to and, you, sorry, if you want to add other well, points before my question, well, go ahead. One thing, one thing here is we, we're trying to create technology that doesn't have any natural enemy. Like the only enemy that we want to have is cancer itself. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, let's look at stakeholders, right? Like if you're a gastroenterologist, I want to turn you into a 21st century superstar, yeah. right? I want the gastroenterologists who can deploy PillBot to be loved by their patients in a way they've never been loved before. I want them to extend the reach of their practice to patients all around the world through telemedicine. And I want them occasionally to be able to even do their own procedures from the comfort of their home, right? You know, how valuable would have that, would that have been during the time of COVID? And then, you know, I think the benefit to a patient is obvious, right? Let's make it more accessible. Let's make it For cheaper. Sure. Let's make it faster, more dignified. But let's let's talk about Canada. Let's talk about healthcare providers, right? Imagine you're an HMO like Kaiser and you are responsible for the outcome of your patient, 
the, the overall outcome of your patient. Or, or let's say you're a, a private insurance provider who's, who's going to ultimately pay out any expenses for a given patient. Uh, or you're a government, such as Canada. We feel all those stakeholders are kind of linked in this, in this angle. I want PillBot to reduce the payout for a typical GI patient by a substantial amount, you know, we should be able to make the the patient um, treatment process much much more efficient financially for uh, for healthcare providers. And so we we are hoping that this technology is loved across the spectrum. And you know, when you when you ask yourself, like, you know, who do you think you are? You know, thinking you're going to create technology that everyone's going to love like this, we we see it as like the last thing we want to do is fight over who should get access to healthcare, right? That that is such a sad and not fun argument to find no. yourself in, or or how much should it cost, or what should wait times be? I mean, my goodness, that's not a fun fight. No, n- there's no winner in that fight. No, but not at all. Again, let's go back a hundred years and let's ask ourselves, you know, how easy is it to cross the Atlantic Ocean? Well, it's really hard. You know, a hundred years ago, if you want to move your family from from England to the United States, you, you know, you you pack up all your stuff. You have this ocean voyage. It's a risky voyage. It takes a long time. It's super expensive. It's a major undertaking. And in the modern world, thanks to technology like you know the seven forty seven or the triple seven or the you know the the A three eighty, right? Um, it's it's trivial. Right. For a couple hundred yeah. bucks, you can fly across the Atlantic in your pajamas if you really want to. Right. <laughs> um, and it's technology itself that has alleviated the stressors of this problem that used to exist that n- no longer is much of a problem. We are hoping that micro robotics in the human body becomes a category uh, in its own right. We're hoping that cheap, tiny robots throughout the human body uh, just becomes a normal that completely changes the status quo on cost, access, speed, uh, and, and, and everything that matters to, to real people. We talked a lot about the cost. We touched based on the cost. So for people who don't know how this works, like at least, at least if you're going to do an upper endoscopy, you need a physician who takes like 10 to 15 years of training. And so what, what we call it, so it's, it's, it's a joke in the healthcare system that Usually, again, with respect to all gastroenterologists, how gastroendoscopy work. So you st- you hold a tube, and then you start counting one dollar, two dollar, three dollar, four dollar. Once you reach fifteen hundred, you pull it up. So it so you're gonna pay the physician at least fifteen hundred, if not more, and then you're gonna pay for the the w- w- where this procedure is gonna happen because usually, like you have an office space or a hospital space or an outpatient clinic setting, and then you're gonna pay your assistant. So. I would say the technology at least doing one endoscopy because like you're operating all this at least, at least, at least, at least is going to take 2,000, 2,500. Coming back to endiotics, I was surprised by the numbers that I saw, but I want to hear it from you. How much do you think a pill would cost? So, you know, I can pick up, I can pick up PillBot in my hand and there's two components to our system that are physical. One is the robot itself and mm-hmm. PillBot is it's about the size of a typical pill camera. We're yeah, a little exactly. bit better, to be honest. Um, but the cost of goods going into a pillbot is right now it's about thirty-five dollars U.S. Really? Right? We have we have three little electric motors that are sourced from the world of vibrating cell phones, 
Uh, we have cameras that come from from a world in which everyone needs to take an easy selfie. Uh, we have LEDs, which are quite quite prominent. We have batteries that come from a world where everyone demands uh, noise canceling uh, AirPod earphones, right? And so we have all of this amazing commodity hardware um, that we have access to that makes a small drone not only realistic, but actually quite inexpensive. The other component to, to our system is that we need to be able to broadcast data through the human body. And we choose to do that using uh, radio. And we use very low frequency radio. Um, we have to do amazing uh, data compression onboard PillBot in order to get our limited data link to have a, you know, a good Zoom-like video call. But we're, we're very, very proud of the work we've done here. And and you know to to have standed you know stood that that platform up we're we're quite proud, but the little dongle that that handles the other side of that communication link and connects your phone to the internet, you know that's maybe fifteen fifteen U.S. dollars. And so right now we're looking at a raw raw cost of goods of maybe fifty U.S. dollars to build one of these. And so the wow. the unit economics here are simultaneously you know very attractive for us because. We should be able to build this quite cheap in volume, and even if we sell it for a few hundred dollars, um, we should still be able to drastically cut the cost of a typical procedure. You know, by the time oh, it hits sure. the patient, and so that's 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 the exciting thing here is I imagine a world where a typical gastroenterologist makes more money personally because they get to treat many more patients in a much easier manner, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Before a gastroenterologist can can truly make money on a patient, you know that patient needs to be properly vetted and tested for COVID, and then physically brought to the facility. They have to have done the prep, and then they do the procedure, right? Wh which is kind of the most important part. Yeah. And we just propose offloading all of that hassle out into digital health. You know, put that out in the cloud, and let a, an expert like a gastroenterologist. Um, have the exciting time of inspecting a lot more patients in this effortless, fun, fun ecosystem with with all these great data analytics. Um, but then at the individual patient level, let's make it cheaper, easier, and faster for them so that we can push the envelope of healthcare, meaning, you know, increase the number of people our best healing technology can reach. Let's push that bubble out until it includes the entire world, right? So we need to make healthcare like this accessible to, you know, seven plus billion people on this planet. Because if you have a stomach, we would very much like to make sure you're doing okay. Can I ask, so we, we talked earlier about how we're going to sample the procedure, sorry, uh, how we're going to sample the tissue. Is there a way, and I think for sure, uh, I think there should be. So for example, for us as an oncologist, sometimes we want to take a sample and still take it to the lab to do like some testing, like immunohistochemistry, looking for receptors like HER2 receptor or other types of um, mutations or PDL1 receptors. Like those are specific that will help us guide the treatment. Is there a way that although it might not be pleasant to the patient, but it has therapeutic indication to take that sample outside of the patient's body and send it to the lab to test for our specific receptors or mutations? Absolutely. I, I think it's inevitable that at some point in the endiotics journey and, and as the PillBot product line, uh, you know, first we have to get through FDA, but once the PillBot product line is out treating people and diagnosing and screening and, and improving lives, 
I think it's inevitable that at some point a version of PillBot is going to involve a care facility, either through the mail or or be administered in a hospital. We might even start in hospitals just to make sure we're taking extra special care of our very first patients, you know, mm -hmm. as we as we learn about this about this new ecosystem that we intend to to debut. Um, but yeah, eventually we're probably going to want to figure out how do you get a sample out of the body? Do you do you do you maybe, you know, imagine you swallowed like a, a little very small soft capsule on a on a tether. Maybe pill pillbot could load a, a sample into a much smaller elastic thing and you could pull it out. Um, maybe you do catch it in a screen, you know, in in the washroom. Um, I think this this fades into an interesting conversation because while the stomach market from sort of like using business metrics uh, or the 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 population of EGD patients, well, that's a large patient population and a very exciting market for a startup mm, company mm, like mm. ours. The colonoscopy market is easily twice the size. Oh yeah, and so we are definitely starting to look at versions of PillBot um, that could actually. Uh, actually go direct administered and actually do colonoscopies, you know, for for hundreds of millions of people every year. Um, and that would probably require a clinic visit because, you know, we would have to make some funny machine that uses warm water to sort of clean out all the gross stuff and create mm -hmm. a nice clear environment for the robot to swim around. So it, we will get to a point where we are not just the easy, fun, swallow a robot pill in your home company. But I think that it makes sense for us to begin as that company um, because it means that the patient story is so fun. Like I swallowed a robot and I got on a Zoom call and that was it. <laughs> that, that, that's a great way to start a company. I think it's a great way to get initial groups of, of you know, health tech investors together. You know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful beginning, but it's certainly not the end of the story.